Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. My name is Eric Skorzynski. I'm Travis Chappell's producer. And on today's episode, we are sharing the secrets to becoming a sales superstar. And trust me when I say we have some amazing guests to walk us all through it. First up is David Premer. He's widely recognized as a thought leader in the area of sales and sales leadership and has been published in the Harvard Business Review as well as Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Sell the Way You Buy. Next up is Joel Marion, the co-founder and CMO of Biotrust Nutrition with over $600 million in sales. And last but certainly not least is Grant Cardone, the massively successful entrepreneur, real estate investor, sales trainer, consultant, and public speaker. If you want to become a sales superstar and level up in your business, then you need to listen to this entire episode. And by the way, if just one part of this episode is helpful to you, then be sure to take a screenshot and tag Travis on Instagram with the handle at Travis Chapel. All right, let's get into it. Sometimes when you think about plotting the trajectory of your career, someone says to me like, oh, David, I love your career. Like, could I do, you know, tell me what to do to do what you did. And I'm like, I can't tell you that. Like I, it's just the sum of all the decisions. Some were good, some were bad. Some, yeah. you know, took you on a little bit of a detour. So careers are hard to architect. But the thing that I can tell you now in hindsight, kind of 20 years later and, and kind of doing what I do now, which is the most, and I've, and I've had an, I've loved all of the jobs I've had in my career. I love working with awesome people, but this is, the happiest I've been because I feel like I'm doing what I was meant to do. Yeah. But the question is like, how do you know that? And one of the, the kind of the way I know was about back when I was at Salesforce, one of the things that they let me do was I just started to write. They said, Hey, you know, we love when entrepreneurs come in from the outside as we grow the company. You know, when I joined, there were 6,000 employees. When I left, there was 24,000 employees. And that, that was, oh you know, my goodness. three, four years ago. Now there's like 50,000. So they love bringing people in from the outside. And they said, Hey, look, if you want to write, cause I had all these ideas being a former customer, how I might be able to help the business, even in my, in my roles there. So yeah. I said, you know, it was great. I'd love to start doing some writing. And, and so they let me do that. And I did some more speaking engagements 
And, and I just kept writing and writing and writing. And, and I did this off to the side, like while I had a regular job, you know, with a quota and, and a big team and the whole thing. And over the course of time, I just continued to do that. And when I left Salesforce to be a VP at my fourth startup, I kept writing and I kept doing events like for Salesforce. And I, I was like, I love Salesforce, but I, I love this, this idea of like sharing, learning is the number one thing I love to do, especially from my, my research science roots. And yeah, um, right you know, many years later, this is what I get to do. I realized that that was the trend and pattern in my whole career, no matter what jobs I had, it was always centered around learning and synthesizing and, and, and teaching for other people. And so I just, over the course of time said, you know what, why is this not my job? And, uh, and I made it my job now. So top two or three lessons that you've learned about pivoting, because uh, this is a conversation that I've had with a lot of people recently where, you know, some people, uh, the, the timing of a good pivot, I think, is something to talk about because some people, I think, give up on things too early, but some people, I think, hang on to something that they should have let go of a long time ago. And it seems like you've done a pretty good job throughout your career of being willing to take a pivot regardless of how massive or you know uh, different that, that new direction would be in your life. And it seems to have worked out pretty well for you. So do you have any advice for anybody out there that might be considering something like that right now for their career? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple pieces of advice. You know, number one, there's never a perfect time. So don't convince yourself that, oh, you know, I'm going to do this when, you know, yes. there's never going <laughs> to yeah, never going to be, yeah. you know, an ideal time. The other thing is that, you know, the cost of failure and look, I'm not here to kind of say what your you know particular situation is, the people who are listening here, but the cost of failure is often much less than what you think it is, mm. right? So, you know, people are, it's, it's so funny coming from the startup world and now into Salesforce, all the people at Salesforce would, would say, you know, cause I was a big fan of like, you should join a startup. And people would say like, ah, oh, I've never joined a startup. It's like, it's too risky, so much risk. And then I would talk to my, my startup friends and I should say, I would say, you know, Salesforce is awesome. You should come work here. And they would say, ah, I don't want to work at Salesforce too. It's too corporate, too, like too big company. <laughs> yeah. And I felt like these were like my two best friends that they didn't want to meet each other. And, and <laughs> right. both was, was overestimating like the, like the, 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 the risk. Yeah. I'm like, okay, great. So you join us. Let's say you're, you know, you're a big company person. You want to join a startup. What's the worst that happens? Like the company's going to go out of business. And like, do you think that's going to happen? Like the day after you join by complete surprise? Like, do you think <laughs> right. there's things that you could ask to figure out? Like, is the company in a good position? So when you start picking it apart, you realize like the cost of failure, especially when you, if you're in sales and you're very good at sales, you'll, you, there's a million jobs in right. sales, great yep. jobs. So the cost of failure is low. So I would say, don't wait for the perfect time and really scrutinize what that real cost of failure is, or is your vision being clouded by fear that is unrealistic? I, I love that you brought up that. I, both points are amazing. And, and we could talk about both of them for a long time. But that second point in particular is something that I'm, I'm really, really big on because that's kind of how I feel about most things is that people just, in, they, they, they magnify what the risk is in their mind and create this this scenario where they're, you know, all of a sudden living in poverty and they're homeless, wandering the beaches of San Diego, wondering what they're going to do for their next meal. Like that's typically not going to be the worst case scenario. Like right. it's just not <laughs> you, like worst case scenario. You take a risk to potentially like if, especially in the startup scene, like those potential rewards are huge. They're astronomical. They're, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's just like a increase in my salary or something like that. It's if we have a successful, exit and I've earned equity in this company, I could make a fat chunk of change in a few years versus, you know, being at this other corporate thing. But you just, you, 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 you take that and you, you add in the fear of failure and then you take the fear of embarrassment, which I think is one of the most uh, just ridiculous fears that exists, but it's so <laughs> real in so many people because they're, they, everybody feels that they have to keep up this, you know, level of of I'm successful with everybody in their lives instead of just worrying about themselves and their own journey and what they're learning and what they want to get out of life, you know? And, and so they just kind of, they, they just kind of make these decisions because they're afraid that everybody else in their life is going to assume that they're a certain way or that they're a certain type of person or think that they're a failure because this new company that they joined didn't work. And it's like, that's a pretty good worst case scenario. <laughs> 
<laughs> like it's a pretty solid worst case scenario, you know? For sure. And you, you know what the thing is like mastery in any field, like if you're great in sales, you're great in, you know, you're swimming or you're a black belt in karate, whatever it is, when you do things that other people don't do because it's too hard or too much effort, like that's where the magic happens, right? Like right. doing things that other people are too afraid to do or don't have like the, you know, have, have the conviction to do, like that's where the magic lies. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, I always say there's a reason why we don't pay high school students minimum wage to be awesome sales reps, right? Because it's so hard. Like you don't earn a bunch of money, just, you know, it's falling into your lap. You actually have to be good at it and right. being good at sales is like being good at like being a neurosurgeon. It's hard, right? Not a, there's not a lot of amazing salespeople. So um, I think it's just as worthy an endeavor to be good at, at selling um, as anything else. And, and the rewards are commensurate with that. So let's talk about sales for a second. Tell, tell me what those few things are. What, what are the things that you think makes a great salesperson or separates you know, the best from the mediocre? So I, I have kind of two schools of thought. And the first school of thought is uh, around the concept of what I call a superpower. So if I were to line up, I actually, you know, I don't necessarily subscribe to like the, all the best salespeople do this, right? The fact is that like any other person in any profession, if you can be good in that profession by leveraging the thing that you are especially great at. So for example, when I would interview sales reps, I would say like, so for example, Travis, what's your superpower? Like, what's the thing that you're just better at than everyone else? The thing that, you know, six months, a year down the road, when you're at the top of the leaderboard, we're going to say, of course, Travis is here. He told us this was his superpower. And it could be lots of things. You could be a great negotiator, a great product person. You could have a best friend persona. Like there's all sorts of things, you know, like I asked this in an interview once and someone said, you know, I have a very naggy mother. So I can really just survive at anything, which I, I still remember to this day. But like, you know, so I think everyone can be successful for all different reasons. And I'm not successful in my job because I'm a natural born salesperson. It's because I treated sales like a pursuit that I, I learned and I researched and, and that's my superpower. So if other people can leverage their superpower, I think that that's key. But I think, you know, just based on my practice here in in the world of modern selling, I keep coming back to this mantra, which is actually the title of my book, which is great sellers sell the way they buy. Hmm. And what I mean by that is kind of twofold. Number one, they bring a strong empathetic component to their sales practice, meaning they don't use tactics that wouldn't work on them if they found themselves on the buying side, right? Hmm. Like just because you're in sales doesn't mean you get to behave different. But the other part of sell the way you buy is like really understanding the pathways and mechanisms by which people make purchasing decisions and then using those in your sales motion. And it sounds so simple, but as buyers, we are often unconscious of the forces that cause us to make any sort of decision, right? So really being attuned to that and studying that is what can make you a great salesperson. Yeah. Do you think that sales is something that literally anybody can learn or at least become competent and decent at? Or do you think that it is something that's a natural gift that's to be expounded upon? The former. Yeah. Anyone can learn it. Um, It's just like anything else. Like, can anyone learn how to do the splits and can anyone learn how to, you know, do karate and can anyone learn how to forecast the weather? Like you could, right? You just have to put the time and attention and understand the pathways. And, And not everyone has the, has the, um, you know, the fortitude to do it. Now, when you describe someone who's like a natural born salesperson, it mm-hmm. just means that they might have some of these innate characteristics kind of sure. built in. They don't have to think about, but yeah, you can teach it to anyone. Yeah. And, and what do you think would be the top things that somebody new to sales, like somebody's listening to this and they're like, you know, they're just getting into the, uh, the sales career. They've never been in sales before, but they think that they can, but they think that they're, you know, uh, they, they have the fortitude to at least withstand for a certain period of time to develop that skill set more. What are the top, you know, one or two activities that they should be doing? You know, the thing that I find oftentimes will separate... And real quick, and real quick sorry, to, to, to add an extra caveat in here, and maybe talk about a couple of those top things that they should be doing that most sales organizations don't teach. For sure. Well, I, I mean, it's funny, like the first thing that I would say, just in general, you want to be good at something, you got to read. Like that, it's mm-hmm. so simple, like read. Whether you're doing audiobooks or blogs or books, like I'm a big fan of, you know, actual physical books myself, but mm-hmm. there's so much knowledge that's out there. And unfortunately, and statistically speaking, most people don't read. You know, most people read like half a book a year, maybe if that. And, um, and the best sellers, just, you know, the best people in any profession are the ones that are constantly enriching themselves. So 
read. And in fact, you know, one of the things that I used to do when I was a VP of sales is that I would buy copies of my favorite books and I would go to Amazon. Here's 10 copies of this, 10 copies of that. I would put them on my desk and I would just say, Hey, you know what? These are my favorite books. Come take them. And, and I had amazing uptick. You know, when you make it as easy as walking over to someone's desk to get a book, yeah. it was a minimal investment for me, but, uh, but huge for the, for the team. And they still come back to me this day. They, they talk to me about the books and, and uh, the things they learn. So reading is like just one of the simplest things you can do. So let's talk tactical, practical things here. We just went through a whole kind of life story here, and there's so many different pieces to pick out. First off, how do you build an email list? Best practices. Like if you're starting with sub 2,500 on an email list, where do you start from there? How do you start? Because now you have a 20 million person email list. Is that right? Yes. About 17 million in BioTrust, 3 million on the on an ebook company that I started 18 months ago. So... Tactical, practical, like how do we start getting from like absolutely nothing to respectable numbers like 10, 15, 25,000? And is that enough to do what you want to do? I mean, um, a list of 10,000 can be, have a six, you can turn that into six figure income. And then most people who are listening, maybe you're in a position where uh, you're still working at a normal job, you know, it's like normal, whatever that is, just working for someone else as an employee. And you have a desire to kind of create more freedom for yourself. And you're listening to this podcast because you have a desire to be an entrepreneur full-time, 10,000 person email list. You could very easily be generating $10,000 plus a month from that. We make somewhere between one and $2 a month per subscriber. So even if it's only a thousand people, if you know what you're doing with it, then you can turn that into a thousand to two thousand dollars a month, which is significant, and it can grow from there. But how do you go about building an email list? Well, classic example: of what not to do is what I did originally, where I had two thousand people on my list sign up for a free newsletter. That was also in two thousand seven. So the landscape has changed. No one's signing up for a free newsletter at this point. It's way oversaturated. No one needs another newsletter, right? So no, no one really wants to be on another email list, period. But if you got a what we call an, a good enough ethical bribe on the front end, a lead magnet, then people will still give you their email address and you can communicate with them as long as you continue to provide value, they won't unsubscribe. So I became very good at creating these lead magnets. So if you're looking to let's just say you you're probably listening to this podcast you probably at least dip your toe into the water and and growing something maybe you have a, a good sized social channel you know where you have thousands of people who are following you maybe it's five thousand maybe ten thousand maybe it's a hundred thousand people on social media right and free ways to build an email list are to give something away to that any audience that you already have established and let's just say that is even just your contacts from your regular email contacts and you want to port them over to like your email list to get your newsletter, any which way that you can get in front of an audience, wherever you have an audience, and everyone has an audience, even friends, you know, or an audience, then you can give away something of value and encourage them to sign up for it with their email address. So you're owed oh, ethical bribe. You're always giving away something of value. And the trade is you give me your email address, you join my list, I can keep in contact with you, right? That's the understood barter. Uh, when people land on a page, they psychologically, they probably don't even think of that when, when they land on one of my pages because it just seems like it makes sense. Oh, you want this free th report that I'm giving away on the top 10 foods for a flat belly or whatever? And we have an opt-in box there that says, you know, enter your best email address and we'll send you the report. And then the button that they click says, send me the report. So they're understand. Sure, I could just have the download right there on the website, right? But people aren't putting two and two together how this works marketing-wise. Like, you're giving me an email. All you, all you think is, oh, of course, this is required information. You can't send me something without an address, right? So they're just putting it in there. But now I get to stay in front of them. So uh, how do you create a good lead magnet? Number one, if you are on social media and you have had posts, you probably have some posts that like, oh, that post really resonated. That got the most comments, that got the most, that particular topic got the most likes, whatever. You can sort out all your social media posts and just sort them by what had the greatest level of engagement. And you probably have it in your mind right now, listen to this, what those were. Create a free report around that because people have already, they already rose their hand and said like, 
more people than not said that they wanted this. More people relative to other posts I made said they wanted this. This is the most popular thing. So give that away for free. Something around that topic. Now let's just say, Travis, what was one of your more popular posts? Actually, what we were just talking about on your show, reaching out to people. Yeah, five, okay, orders, yeah. so so how to reach out, five strategies for reaching out to busy people and actually getting a response, right? So you create a PDF, you give that a sexy name, how to get a reply from anyone in the world no matter who they are or how busy they are, right? And then you put that on a on a web page with a simple box that says, get this free report. I've built a network of XYZ number of people, some of the top names, name drops, some of the people you've had on the show. If you'd like to get in touch with people like this and understand the strategies that I use to create these relationships, just stick your email address below, send me the report, right? So that would be what I would use in your case as a lead magnet. Then- you're advertising your social media on your story and your feed that you're giving away this free report. Go to link in bio, swipe up, whatever. Then now you're collecting those individuals' email address. Now you own that data, right? Social media, Instagram owns it. Facebook owns it, right? They could shut your account down in any minute. You have no data. No one, even if you were using software to deploy your emails and for whatever reason, they banned your account, shut down your account, whatever. You still own, as long as you're creating backups, you still own all the email addresses. You just go to one of the hundred other places you can send email from for whatever reason something happens. Because unfortunately, it's happened, I've seen it happen to a lot of people where they're good people and they violate some terms and conditions that they were unaware of and accounts get shut down. If that happens on YouTube, I saw that happen to a guy who at the time, just over 10 years ago, had the largest YouTube channel in fitness at the time had like 50 million views, which was huge back then. Now that's like one video for some people, but like their channel had way more views than anyone else in fitness. They violated some terms and conditions. I think it was with music that they had playing in the background that was not licensed and their account got shut down. They couldn't get in touch with anybody at YouTube, nothing. They had to start over literally from scratch. They started a new channel and built it up. But I'm like, holy crap, just all that work that you put into building it. He had something like 500,000 subscribers on YouTube, which again, 10 years ago, these are massive numbers. Crazy, you know, to see that happen. If that happens on the email side, you already own the data. You just go to another service. There's, there's dozens of them that are good. You know, there's probably a hundred of them that are out there possible. So to build the email list, number one, create a desirable lead magnet. How do you know it's desirable? Just look at the numbers, look at the data. For me, anytime I go to create a new free report that I'm going to use to generate new leads onto my list, what do I do? I go back to the last the emails that I sent over the last three to six months. I'll sort by highest open rate, highest click-through rate, and I say, okay, this topic obviously opens really big, clicks really good. I'm going to create a free report around that. Because then when I go to affiliates and they didn't want to send for me and they need to make money because I'm paying them on a per lead basis. If I'm paying my affiliates a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, whatever it is to send me a lead, I already know they're going to do well with it because it's already proven to get good opens and good clicks. So they're going to send good volume of people over to the page. So even at a lower payout of two dollars, I have some people who will pay four dollars a lead that can't compete with me because when somebody mails my stuff, so many more people sign up for it. At $2, it trumps the amount of money that they're earning versus somebody else who's not nearly as dialed in and they're paying $4 a lead. They have to pay twice as much. The names are worth what they're worth, but they these, these people have to pay twice as much for them to get that traffic source. And I can pay half price for them because I already did my homework on creating. You got dialed in. Yeah, I got the offer that I know people resonate with because I'm going back to the data. So think about that. What's your social media post that blew it up? What is something on Facebook, something on Instagram? If you do have a small email list, just look at your email data. What are the biggest subject lines that you've had? Create a free report around that topic. Create a free video if your audience is coming from YouTube or some other source where video is the main way they like to consume content. Create a free video on that topic. Give it away. And again, you just tell people that will email you access to it. Put your email address in here and we'll email you access to it. So that's a practical way of figuring out. People will say, oh, I don't know what uh, lead magnet. I get it. I don't know what to do. How do I create a good lead magnet? You know, and then a lot of people don't go through that exercise that I just talked about and they end up putting something out there that no one really wants. Doing a bunch of guesswork and yeah, yeah not resonating at all. Right. So let's say you put that out there. You're getting two to four leads a day. How do you really like take that from like three to 30? So it all comes down to scale. Scale is either going to happen one of two ways. Either you're going to figure out and crack the code for content going viral on these 
on these channels, like guys like Jay Shetty and Prince EA and Lewis Houses of the world are very good at creating content that goes viral. Study those people. Trent Shelton, if you're looking to be in that type of industry or model it for your own, but you'll see what they're doing. That works. That's one way. The other way is to pay for it, right? You pay for traffic. And that's the way that I do it because I don't have to deal with creating a lot of content. I just create content that one time for a lead magnet. So like, for example, we have a, a lead magnet called the 12 Best Fat Burning Drinks. Okay. And I have had over a million people sign up for that one report. I don't have to create new content constantly to give away because I just go and I push it out to every channel that I can find traffic from. And then I pay for traffic from those channels. So paying for traffic is my preferred choice because uh, you can always get somebody to mail for something that makes them money. I don't have to ask for favors. I don't have to go around and do a million podcasts, although I enjoy doing stuff like this. I don't have an infinite amount of time to elevate my brand the organic way, which in my, while I'm running four or five other businesses, I commend people who do, who are doing it that way, but anything you can always pay for to accelerate anything that you want to accomplish in life, in every, any area. <laughs> you shared a story how you paid for access to somebody that accelerated your trajectory in the career that you wanted to have. For me, it's, I can accelerate the amount of traffic by paying for traffic. And then I just have to understand paying $2 a lead to affiliates, open rates are optimized because I picked that good topic for a free report that I already know is going to do well. Tested my, my email copy, my subject lines, all that stuff. And it's working really well. It's sending a lot of people over the page. Affiliates getting paid times two on every visitor they send. And this thing sends way more visitors than average because I tested my way into that. Now the affiliate is happy. I'm paying $2 a lead. And I know my numbers that I can back out $2 a lead. And, and eventually that lead is going to be worth $6 after a 24-month period. It's going to take me a little while to make up the two bucks. Then after that, dollar three, four, five, and six or profit to me. So I'm making, investing two and making six. Well, you do that as much as your, your cash flow allows you to do. In the beginning, when you're just starting out and you have a smaller business, maybe you know you're only you limit yourself to do a thousand new leads a, a month from quality sources from people that you work with. You tell them you pay them two dollars a lead, and you have them mail. See if the numbers work out. It's constant kind of ebb and flow, and making sure that everybody's happy taking care of the affiliate, the relationship, and then looking at your numbers on the back end. Well, I paid $2,000 for 1,000 leads. How much am I making from this? Kind of stop and watch this conservative approach before you, I would never go out there and say, oh yeah, $2 a lead will work for everyone and every traffic source. We have some traffic sources that we found out that at year, if at six months, I wanted to be worth $2 or some traffic sources, I found out that, and we know this early on, that like at six months, they're only going to be worth 25 cents. So we look at the numbers and what you're going to know on month by uh, week two, if the lead is only worth 15 cents, a lot of that initial money is going to be made up within the first couple of weeks. So if, if you're paying $2, you're not making at least 50% of your money back in the first couple of weeks. Don't go back to that channel where you got to reduce the payout or whatever. So it's a constant look at the numbers. Does it make sense if it is working out? Let's say you pay $2 a lead to a partner and at, your, at week two, they are worth $3 a lead. What do you do in that instance? You go back to them and, and say, hey, this worked out. It looks like it's working out well. Would you like to send again for this? Here's a new email that I created for it. Or maybe they say, uh, I don't really want to send so close together. And say, well, what if I paid you $3 a lead? <laughs> and they look at what they made last time and how much more they would make. So, okay, yeah, I'll do it for $3 a lead. Everyone is, it just has to make sense for them. What's the risk reward? If I'm getting enough more money as a, in commission, then it's going to make sense for me to hit send again earlier than I would otherwise. And you know the numbers are going to work out. You've already made $3 back. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed 
survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So for somebody out there that's just like, Joel, I'm totally understanding what you're saying and it sounds awesome, but where do I go find all these people with lists that want to start sending stuff and how do I make it attractive for them? Yeah. So for me, I knew the business I was getting into, which was health and fitness publishing. So I went to the largest marketplace for health and fitness publishers, which was ClickBank, ClickBank clickbank.com. They have a thing called a ClickBank marketplace where it has all the top vendors listed so that other affiliates could find the best products to promote. So you go to the ClickBank marketplace and let's say you're not in health and fitness. They have loads of other categories. Then you click on whatever category you're in, in, your business is in. Let's say it's in uh, dating advice and relationships. And you find that category and then you look at who the top vendors are. Those are all the people that you want to get to know. It's basically posted on ClickBank that here are all the most successful people in your industry who are have email lists or getting customers and sell digital information. So it's published. It's right there. And that's what I did. I went to ClickBank. I printed off the top 20. And I said, I want to be friends with as many people as possible on this list. And I became very good friends with 18 out of the top 20. And then it was just about like, hey, here's your hit list, right? Like you have all the people, those your dream list of people creating relationships with. And then you go out and you do whatever it takes to create those relationships, which I'm sure we'll get into some of the strategies for network. How did I network my way into the lives of 18 of the top 20 ClickBank vendors? And then which ultimately they all promoted my product when it came out. I had, I understood marketing. It worked out well for them. It obviously worked out very well for me, changed my life. I quit my teaching job and now I've been doing this for the last 11 years. People are always a product of their environment, yeah. right? So you're in an environment that has a lot of people that are trying to contain you, right? Yeah. And that's one thing that I find very similar with a lot of the people that I've talked to, especially on the show, is that they were in this environment where they're trying to excel yeah. and become the best, but everybody around them, even the people that they love, it's not yeah. always the drug dealers and the people more, that- More often than not, it's right. the real enemy. Right. It's not done out of like a spiteful it's mentality malicious, either. Man. Right. It's just like they- Legitimately, think I would rather the, the malicious. I would rather the enemy. I would rather know that somebody is consciously right. trying to stop because me. then you know it's the least wrong. A hundred percent. I know what they're, what they're up to. Yeah, exactly. It's my sister right. that wants to cuddle me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Under mm-hmm. the disguise of I just want to take care of you. Yeah. That is the most damaging because right. it's the wife you sleep with. Mm-hmm. It's your dad that says, "Dude, I just don't want you to get hurt." Exactly. Right. Like yeah. it's the people in your life that care for you that don't even know. They're actually damaging yeah, you. Holding you from reaching. Yeah, because they have some other agenda. That's why I say never take advice from a quitter. Hmm. That's not a damaging comment. It's right. like, look, if your dad quit on money, if he was going along in his life and he's like, I'm going to go get it, I'm going to go get it, right? And then one day he's like, it's not worth it. Somebody, you know, he had a big loss. He's right. like, I'm not going to go right. for it anymore. That's the last guy you'd want to get advice from. You know, if somebody went bankrupt because they expanded too fast. They're going to tell you when you go to expand, they're going to be like, dude, don't spend money and don't, bigger's not better. Don't never take advice from a quitter. He quit on expansion because he got spanked. Right. Rather than recalibrate and figure out, creating a new network. Mm -hmm. I need a new network of people that are winning. And just because you were winning a decade ago, doesn't mean you should be in my network today. Because a guy was expanding 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, doesn't mean, like when you study mentors, you got to study where they're at in the cycle. Right. So I don't know what a good example is, but, you know, I want advice from Jack Welch when he was building GE, not when he Mm -hmm. pulled away from it. So Mm -hmm. I want to know from Howard Schultz when he's 
blowing up Starbucks, not when he's leaving the company, he's going to go into politics. Mm -hmm. I don't right. care about his politics. I care about his expansion. Right, right. So this is something that I find really fascinating is that most people will always look for the excuse to stay average. So what I mean by that is like, they're okay with comparison yeah. if it's to people that are less fortunate. Right? Yeah. So they yeah, use it yeah. as like a, well, just be grateful that you're not, totally. you know, in Zimbabwe, like yeah, living yeah, in a exactly. grass hut. But then the second that you bring up, well, like, you know, we'll look at Grant Cardone. He's buying multifamily real estate in millions of dollars. Hundreds and, of millions. Yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's worth all this money and stuff. But, yeah. but then when you say that, it's like, well, you know, you should just be grateful for where you are. So yeah, yeah, they use comparison yeah. only when it's in their advantage. Does yeah, that make yeah, sense? Yeah, totally. So, Look, this is the entire, you just encapsulated the entire definition of the middle class. The middle class in America and other middle classes that are being developed in India and other third world countries where there's not a middle class, they are based on comparisons. The entire right. middle class is a complete phenomenon. It is a mythological creation by politicians where comparison is the definition right i am in the middle because i'm not in poverty mm. and because i'm not super rich right even rich to a degree is just a fancy middle yeah. class right. like like if you ask my seven-year-old sabrina hey what do you think what is the middle class because she asked me one day she's like you talk about the middle class all the time what is it Bob? i said what do you think it is she's like i think it's rich people that are really poor <laughs> and that's the person that makes 70 grand a year right doesn't have any money left over mm -hmm. making their car payments making their house payments stuck can't leave can't move but you're better off because you said it perfect you are better off than somebody in right. zimbabwe right so just be grateful who's never had a bicycle so don't so be so grateful don't be pushing, satisfied yeah. mm -hmm. right okay don't push right you have more than most you have clothes on your back you have transportation, you have air condition, you have food in your refrigerator. And every time you go to Whole Foods, by the way, you're like, ouch, yeah. that's not freedom. So you're, Travis, you're doing a service to people to tell them the truth. So what is the balance then? Because I feel like being grateful is a really good practice, yeah. but you should also have a, some sort of a healthy dissatisfaction for where you are to keep pushing forward. So what's the balance between the two? I think people need to be great and full of great. <laughs> you need to be great. You know, somebody said the other day, man, you're really blessed. I said, no, dude, I'm proving it. Hmm. I'm proving that I'm blessed. I'm not interested. God doesn't need to be recognized as blessing me. God has zero, like he's not putting a mark on the board. I need to prove that I'm blessed. He already did his work. I need to do my work now. You guys need to go out and prove that you're blessed. Yeah. You need to get grateful, full of greatness. And do I need to be grateful? Dude, I'm grateful for everything. Mm -hmm. But I'm not spending time on grateful. I'm spending time on how do I fulfill my potential? Mm -hmm. That is the great payback. Like if there's a God, a higher power, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. him, her, it. Right. Dude, the great payback is to prove it, is to fulfill the potential, not to be like, well, I got to work today and I didn't get in a wreck. Yeah. All right, good, man. But that can't be the rest of my day. Or I came to work today and I didn't get drunk. Or I didn't punch anybody in the face today. Mm. Like I didn't punch anybody in the face. I didn't beat my wife up. I didn't uh, make my kids feel bad. I could be grateful for that. So I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Right. So the rager, that's what the rager does. I didn't beat anybody's face yeah. in here. Okay, dude, look, like, where are we going to move the conversation yeah. to? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm interested in. I am very- it's like, is that really the fulfillment of your potential to not hit people? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. That's, right. Like I, I'll give you an example. Like, I just, I bought a plane three years ago, sold the plane, bought another plane. When I got on the new plane, okay, I was literally on this plane three minutes. It's a brand new plane. Gulfstream 550, it's like top of the line, everything. I was on that plane, maybe three minutes. Ryan Seco was on the pilot and mm -hmm. I'm on three minutes. And I said, I'm going to buy the next level. <laughs> so was I grateful? Am I ungrateful? Dude, I love the plane I'm on. Okay. Yeah. I'm extremely grateful for it. Now, the question now in this conversation becomes, when is enough enough? Mm. And if you're asking that question, I guarantee you, you don't have enough. And you're not working hard enough and you're not going for your potential. Rather, you're measuring against other people. So you're trying to make sense of what you said. You're trying to make sense of why you don't have what you have. And you'll do that by making me wrong. Right. And almost and changing into a morality issue. Totally. Just, totally. Yeah, just like just saying, oh, getting rich is selfish. And it's now yeah. it's going to become, see, nobody's ever covered this, what you're doing right now. Now the guy's going to drop into a morality issue. Why do you need so much? Right. You know, you could have taken that money for that plane and you could have fed hungry people, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Well, dude, I'm feeding hungry people. I'm the, by the way, when we're having this conversation, I'm feeding more hungry people than the guy asking the question. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's always the interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there it is. (laughs) For those listening, we'll link up to the video in the show notes. You come check it out. We just put a little model of Grant's plane he just bought up on the desk here. So no, um, this is the actual plane though that I bought. (laughs) Yeah, the the actual model, right? I shrink myself (laughs) to get in the plane. (laughs) The future. Yeah, Yeah, the future shrinker. (laughs) Okay, cool. So we covered a lot of stuff so far. This is the Build Your Network podcast where we talk a lot about networking, building relationships. And we've kind of touched on it already, but the question I always ask to get the conversation going in the right direction is, do you believe that what you know or who you know is more important and why? Yeah, I've had this conversation with a lot of people. I believe who you know is more important than what you know. Why is that? Well, you know, look, your connections, man. The connections can accelerate everything. So we did a growth conference. We did my annual growth conference. We did one that was 9,000 people there, 23 speakers. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this years ago. I was out there competing. I write about this, and if you're not first, you're last. The competition thing is a dead art. You don't want to compete with people. You want to collaborate with people. And I didn't know this because the way I grew up, because my dad died probably, I didn't have any connections. And because I didn't have connections and I didn't have a network and I wasn't in the club and I wasn't in the country club and I wasn't at the golf course and I didn't know the bankers, I probably, because I didn't have those things and I didn't know how to do it, I probably made networking like wrong Hmm. as opposed to using it to collaborate. Because I can tell you a whole bunch of people that are less talented than me that went faster than me. That's exactly my whole point of this entire show. And if you listen to this all the time, you definitely know this is where where I stand on it. But what you just said, it basically encapsulates my entire purpose for this because I feel like the what is obviously important. You have to be competent and you have to have a skill set and you have to work on that craft. Yeah, yeah. But I just find that if you focus more of your time on the who, the speed will always be greater. Like you'll skip rungs on the ladder. You'll shorten the runway, however you want to phrase it. You'll get so much better, so much faster. Yeah. And if you combine the two, yeah. you're unstoppable. Yeah. If you are committed to greatness mm-hmm. and you collaborate with other people and lift them up, mm-hmm. like make other people great. You know, my sister said to me when we were doing this conference, it was four days. She's like, my God, the amount of time you give other people on the stage is unbelievable, right? We did a four day event, mm-hmm. 9,000 plus people. That was incredible. And I give speakers, well, Grant, well, you could be up there the whole time. I said, no, I'm sharing, I'm sharing that platform. Right. Right. Now, what does that do for me? First of all, it edifies me. For sure. It's like hundred percent. I don't need to be on the stage. Yep. They're on the stage on my behalf. Mm. It gives me a network, a built-in network. So we spent four million dollars with the Mandalay Bay. Yeah. To, that was incredible. To, too. to give me yeah. instant. Okay. I got speakers that came from around the world to deliver content. I didn't pay them. <laughs> I spent, I wrote a check to Mandalay Bay for 4 million bucks. I gave them an audience. Right. They can't, most people cannot put 9,000 people in front of themselves. Oh. So I did that for a whole bunch of people and gave them a great qualified audience. So you want to do whatever you have to do, what you're saying, which is build this network, like to reach up. Mm-hmm. And I realized one day I was watching CNBC one morning. I saw all the players on the planet, the top mm-hmm. 50 or hundred players or whatever that number is. They were all showing up in Davos in Switzerland. Okay. Buffett, mm-hmm. Gates, all the players, mm-hmm. the Google boys. I'm like, dude, this, look, what are you doing, Grant? <laughs> what are you doing, man? You're so stupid, dude. You need to go to Davos. You need to show up where the other players are. You need to go there and eat dinner. Eat dinner with the kings and the queens. Now, I know some people, this goes back to this last thing you said about the morality thing. Yeah. I don't need all that. Okay. When you say you don't need all that, you're being selfish. You need to eat with kings and queens and power players Mm -hmm. because it's going to accelerate everything for your family. Right. Like if you're one of those people that want, you're a Greenpeace guy. The best thing you could do is go eat dinner with Bill Gates, right? Rather than being in your little freaking Zodiac boat, just doing the Zodiac boat thing, attacking Mm -hmm. the big ship. You need money. You need funding. You need support. You need people behind you. You can't do anything by yourself. Yeah. So what's the best way that you found to get into those networks of people? Like what? Flow power, man. Okay. Flow power to people. When I moved to Miami, I called a couple of people, business owners here in town. And I said, look, what's your favorite charity I want to help out? Hmm. Help out. Yeah. Flow power give, to power. Yeah. Give, give, give. Yeah. Don't try to get something. Don't try to get on my stage. You know, I have people every day like, hey, I want to do business with you. I got this great idea. I'm going to make you a million dollars. Dude, dude, dude. Just flow power to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Flow power to power and keep flowing power to power. Right. Get used to flowing power in the direction of 
power. That's such a great way to articulate it. I've never heard it articulated that way. That's why I asked for a little bit of an explanation, but it's something I talk about a lot is finding somebody that you want to connect with and finding a way to give and add value. But like just flowing power is a great way to yeah. put it. Because what it happens is- Offers you the ability to start getting into those circles of people. Yeah. And the temptation is, if you're a good person, is that you want to help people. If, like, if you love helping people, the temptation is to help people that maybe haven't earned the help yet. Hmm. So I need to be delicate about how I say this, but yeah. I know guys that they help broken people. Yeah. They help people that are out exchange, that don't show up on time, that don't stay late, that want something extra, they advance some money. Mm-hmm. They All you do is cripple the individual more. Right? Remember enable. my- Enable. Oh, you're enabling. Yeah. You're trying to help. And by the way, the guy that helps broken people over and over is broken. And he's trying to fix his own brokenness by helping another broken person. I want to help people that are- doing well, helping themselves, helping themselves that are in power, moving to more power. They're taking chances and risk. I'm not going to help the guy that won't help himself. I say this all the time. Look, I don't help people that have nothing. I help people that have something and are willing to take that something and invest it in becoming more than than what they are right there. So we can make a network that's strong because a network with a bunch of weak people is not a network. Right. It won't work. Exactly. There's so much stuff there to choose from to talk about, but I kind of want to move on the conversation here and ask for just number one tip. So if somebody's just tuning in right now, they missed the whole part of the conversation. And if that's true, you should go check out the beginning because it was fantastic. But if you're just tuning in right now, you need one tip on how to network better, how to increase your inner circle. What is that? Make a list. Make a list, man. Who do you want to network with? It's like getting a job. Yeah. The way colleges are taught how to get a job is you look for the industry that's expanding. It's completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You work for people, not companies. Yeah. So that's, you want to make- so true. That's something, I, if I could go back, that dude, would change that. So, so dumb, dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What industry do you want to work in? Right. Well, I'm an accountant. Yeah. So who's hiring <laughs> right. accountants? Oh, the gas industry's hiring accountants. Right. You're not going to work for the gas industry and you're not going to work for a company. You're going to work for a person. So what people, you talk about acceleration, man. Don't go get a job. Go work for a person, yeah. right? So I would make a list. Who do I want to network with? Who do I want to eat dinner with? Who do I want to spend time with, right? Not mentoring. I'm not talking about mentoring. You guys mentor, you need to read a book. The mentoring thing is so overblown. I've never called somebody and said, will you please be my mentor? Not in a formal way. No, no. What I'll do is I'll grab a guy that's written this many books Mm -hmm. and I'm like, that's my mentoring. I'm going to read everything that guy put together. Yeah. I'm going to study every audio program he has. I'm going to study everything he's done. That's how you get mentoring. So the network thing is about how do you hook up with players? Okay. Real quick on what you were just talking about. How much do you think estimated that you've spent on mentorship, coaching, books, basically anything investing yeah, well, I mean, in yourself. I mean, I study, I study, you know, so how many millions? millions. I spent millions of dollars. Yeah. Do you think that that's a direct no doubt. result? I spent, it's not just how much money I've spent, it's how much time I've spent. Hmm. Like, even when I was 25 years old, I spent $3,000 when I was 25 years old. That would be about 9,000 bucks today. Okay. I didn't have the money, I borrowed it. Borrowed it from my mother, paid her back 30 days later. Mm-hmm. And I watched those tapes Oh man, dude! I got there was tapes. This is like how, a like a sales. It was a sales thing. Or, yeah, it was yeah. sale, and it was a beta tape. It was the tape was like that thick, and it played on a machine, and it pumped to the TV. Not just the nine thousand dollars. I probably watched that thing ten thousand times. Wow! It was twelve tapes. I knew every word. I knew pauses. I knew humor. I knew everything. Inflections. I knew like it taught me how to get in a groove, and I didn't have a groove right. So since then, I have spent millions of dollars. To be in the right place. Yeah. Just this conference. I spent $4 million to be there. Mm-hmm. That's what I spent. Right. People were paying 15 grand to be there. Like, these tickets are expensive. My ticket's expensive. <laughs> okay. I'm the one that spent all the money here. Right. But it was worth the $4 million to be with Damon John, mm. to be with Andy Frasilla, to have guys on stage with me. Jordan Zimmerman, who does $4 billion a year. You know, Bobby Castro, who buys real estate, just invested $3 million in my real estate fund. I had him on stage. He's like, this feels good. This is the right thing. Mm -hmm, You know, you're a legit dude. You're not just talking about it. This is a real business. You know, just when you build a network, when you go from being one person to all of a sudden 25 people and 9,000 people around you, Mm -hmm. you're legit. Right, right. You're not just riding around town saying, I'm on Instagram. 
what was the first 9,000 you spent? Because I think it's the first money that you spend on personal development slash self-improvement, whatever you want to call it. The first like big chunk of money you spend, it almost becomes addicting after that to the point because of what you're saying, because it works so well. There's a direct ROI yeah, yeah, with improving yeah. the quality of who you are. So for somebody out there listening that's going like, man, I've, I've just never, I've never done anything like that. Yeah. I've always been taught, but, but, like, but don't put have- myself in debt. Yeah, but they have do done that. something like that, okay? If you're doing self-improvement, your first investment will not be that self-improvement course. It was college and it failed you. Or it was high school and that failed you. So what happens with people is the reason they don't want to do the self-improvement thing is because education failed them. Hmm. They're like, I don't want to spend money on your course. How bad was high school for you, dude? Oh, it's terrible, man. It was terrible. It's a waste of time. 12 years. I learned nothing. I got nothing out of it. And then I went to college. I did that for two years. I'm 40 grand in debt. Couldn't even get a job. The first self-improvement course you guys did failed you and it took too long yeah. and it cost too much and it's called school yeah. and it failed most people. Very few people attribute college, school to like where they are today. Right. Especially because the mindset yeah. just totally screws you over that you, well, the, from you, that culture. And then it takes so long. Yeah. Like learning shouldn't take that long. Like if I get a piece of data, I should be able to put it to use right, right. away. I yes. shouldn't have to wait until the yes. class is over. So that brings me to another question yeah. then. So is there too much? Because I mean, I met people recently who are literally never made a dime, like not implementing any of the stuff they learned. They're yeah. like $50,000 in debt from spending money on programs, courses, events, masterminds, yeah. everything, but they don't ever make any money. Like I, when's enough enough? I would keep doing it. I think it's going to stick. I think something's going to happen. As long as you take action. Maybe not. Maybe you're just going to finally change. It's like, look, I quit using drugs. 9,000 days in a row. Yeah. 9,000 times. Like what is 365 times nine years? So based on what you're saying, I should have quit trying to quit. But one day it's stuck. Yeah. I've read a bunch of bad books. Oh, there's the bad book list. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Mm -hmm. But even when I'm reading a bad book or going to a bad seminar or not using it, it's starting to stack data for me. Mm. I'm starting to make Okay, what's true for me? Just like when you're looking at a real estate deal. Dude, I look at real estate deals. No, no, no. Bang, there's the yes. It's all data. Dude, yeah. all I need is one deal. Yeah. I need one deal, but I need a bunch of bad books and a bunch of bad mentors and a bunch of bad advice to then say, there's the golden. I just need that golden piece. How many days? I mean, I quit using drugs 32,800 times. On the 801, I went to treatment. Yeah. Never used drugs again. So I would just tell people, if you're not using the data, no problem, man. Maybe you have the wrong information. Maybe it's too much information and not enough. Hey, pick up the phone right now yeah. at the course. Right. Like we just right. finished doing a three-day boot camp. Do we had people making money on the first half of the first day mm-hmm. of the course? Yeah. So we're saying, here's some data. Apply it at lunch. Let's talk about it at one. Mm. So it could be the wrong course. It could be the wrong information. Like there's a lot of bull out there. Yeah. The life coaching. Mm. Dude. You don't need a life coach. You need a business coach. Do, do you think that there is an age where it's too early to spend that kind of money on stuff no, like that? Never, never okay. too early. I don't think it's too early. I don't think it's too late. I don't think there's ever too much. Okay. I okay. think people quit. People quit getting data. They okay. give up on the network marketing company. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Amway didn't work. New Skin didn't work. Mm-hmm. ACN didn't work. Maybe the next one works. <laughs> okay. I tried doing Instagram. Can't get a following. Good, man. Do another one. Frequency is the way to greatness. Don't quit no matter what. Unless it's bad for you, don't quit. (laughs) That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.